Welcome back to Two Real Witches. Hello and blessed be, I'm Oak. And I'm Danny, and we're just a couple of practicing witches seeking initiation into a Gardnerian tradition of Wicca. Every full moon and new moon, we're discussing things we're learning and researching, sharing magical discourse, and hold space for other witches to do the same. We're two real witches, shooting the shit and nerding out on magical topics. So if you're into the occult, the esoteric, or the otherworldly, come hang out with us in the liminal space of sound. In today's episode, we're rounding out our Appalachian folk magic episode with our water and earth topics. So last episode, we dug into kind of the knowledge and actions of Appalachian folk magic. And this episode, we're going to dive into the history, challenges, and future hopes that I have for Appalachian folk magic. But before we dive in... What you up to? Oak, what are you doing? What's going on with you? Tell me, what are you learning? Classes? What's on your mind? Yeah. Okay. So air updates in my life. Um, Honestly, we both have a lot on plates right now. Um, So I'm trying to minimize the amount of new topics I get into. And so a lot of what I'm doing from an air uh, learning workshop class standpoint um, is, is really kind of more just recreational and not like hyper obsessive taking notes, highlighting everything uh, version of myself. (laughs) So um, because I'm trying to, of course, um, organize all of our notes and and finish up um, all of the assignments that we have for our outer court before we go into potentially, who knows, maybe initiation um, soon. Um, So I, uh, yeah, like I said, recreationally, This sounds so silly. Recreationally, um, I've been getting deeper into ceremonial (laughs) witchcraft. (laughs) Just in my spare time, you know, just in the evening, you know, when I'm relaxing. Okay. Yeah. But no, legitimately, it is, it is like, I'm like, you know, chill about it. It's just like audiobooks (laughs) and like, I'm still doing uh, my daily. LBRP practices, um, staying just with the initial banishing um, pentagram version. Um, but yeah, so I have uh, just been going into a couple of the thought leaders. Um, you know, I, I love um, I love Damien Eccles so much. I think he's just like a modern day saint with his, you know, really shitty experience in, in um, being falsely imprisoned for 18 fucking years. So I love him. And then also um, a a person that he points to quite often as being um, a great resource is um, Donald Michael Craig. Um, So, you know, I've been just uh, checking them out, listening to them, thinking about the concepts, thinking about angels. I don't, I never thought I'd say that. I, yeah. Okay. I know. <laughs> I need to know your thoughts because I, I would have a hard time, I think, suspending personal belief uh, to follow along. I, we can do an episode on ceremonial witchcraft 101 where I could give you more context. But like I said, I'm not taking it too seriously. <laughs> so I haven't fully formed my um, interpretation or digestion of angels in uh, Western occult magic. But um, I'll tell you, I was far more resistant. And the deeper I get into understanding how people are working with them and how they're thinking about them, it's it's way less uh, connected to Christianity than I was anticipating. So that's the only thing that's mm-hmm. making it like really digestible. But but like, I do think that there's something there. I mean, shit, like Silver Ravenwolf talks about 
magical allies and angels and how like open they are mm-hmm. to working with us. And sometimes you could consider them like elementals again. So I'm not going right. to, I'm not going to go into it too deeply because I am not letting myself <laughs> go too deeply <laughs> into it. Uh, cause we do have a lot on our plate coming up. I feel like, um, I'm just trying to like minimize myself, but what about you, Danny? Uh, what are your uh, air updates? What are you learning? What workshops, books are you reading? Yeah. So I, same, I'm not doing a ton right now, but one thing I am trying to get more involved in is now I've reached this point where I've been doing wines for more than a year now. And so, um, just now getting to open some of those and test them out and like really decide like what recipes worked, what recipes maybe needed some more tinkering. And so I really want to dig into finding some people who know way more about this uh, than me in my kitchen doing uh, a lot of experimentation. So um, looking to take a wine making class. There are a lot of wine tasting classes around Mm -hmm. me, not so many wine making classes. Um, So it looks like I may have to go out to Daytona for a day um, to take this class, but it is about like making it at home and what kind of things you need and, you know, how do you get the tannins and the acid blend and all the things right, depending on what you're making. So uh, I'll be doing that sometime soon. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine that there's far more home brewers of beer than than wine. Yeah. 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 I could find a lot of beer making classes um, and even mead. I found a couple mead mm-hmm. classes, um, which totally doing need. I just also like doing things the hard way and the longer <laughs> way. So uh, wine is more interesting to me because it requires a lot more uh, patience to not open that bottle before it has its ear proof. But All right. Well, I have a bottle of wine that you gave me for Beltane. I don't know when I'm going to open it. Do I, do I wait for it to be a second year? What do I do? I mean, you can really do whatever. I think, I think they don't recommend especially with home wines because it doesn't have a lot of like pres- preservatives and stuff in it that it doesn't go past year three. So okay. this isn't one of those things where it gets better over time. Uh, yeah. Please don't open it year 20. I, I'm i not <laughs> – disclaimer. I am not personally responsible yeah. for your botulism. Yeah, <laughs> I think – I think until year 20. I think it turns into vinegar at that point, but uh, – Right. Maybe. Right. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, what about um, going into fire updates? What do you – what uh, – what do I say? What irons do you have in the fire? Yes, yes. Um, so I am going to be posting my summer solstice oil today. I'm very excited. Yes, um, I I'm good. I'm really happy with it. So I'll be posting that uh, with the whole chemical makeup because sharing is caring. Um, so I'll be posting <laughs> that today um, to my Instagram um, for anyone who is super nerding out on ritual oils like me yeah. this year. Yeah, I've been loving the the recipes that you have for those. Yeah, what about you? What's going on with you? Your astrology boards? Tell me more. Yeah, those are still in progress, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're coming along. I just, um, I am. I have a few days off, obviously, um, around the um, holiday for Fourth of July. Uh, I have some time off, and so I'll be able to work on them during that time. Um, but. Uh, you know, I did a whole reorganization of my space and I just took a really cute like trip down memory lane and I was like looking at all of my old notes and um and uh journals from like 6 years ago, like when I kind wow. of yeah, when I really first started diving in deeply um into uh, my practice and um it's like some of the things ugh, I have to tell you like nobody cares about this and, and you'll, you'll love it cause you love me. But, um, like just the things <laughs> I chose to write about right off the bat, 
and the things that I researched right off the bat, having the whole occult world open to me is really interesting. Like the first thing I wrote in my first like magical journal was, um, a Doreen Valiente's, um, uh, fucking drawing down the goddess goddess? invocation of the goddess, goddess invocation, charge of the goddess, charge of the goddess. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Apparently I need some, I I knew, I knew that was like, that's what she's going (laughs) to do. That's what she's going to, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, that was it. So it's cool to just to kind of look back and see some of these seeds that uh, you know they were planted for whatever reason and what I chose to to do. So I've been organizing my magical books. I feel like we should do a whole episode on like magical writing, note taking, organization, journaling, and like the values of it because it really is quite endearing to look back on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And then, so the boards, the books <laughs> and the beach. Oh, look, I did it. All bees. That's cute. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, my partner and I uh, went to uh, the beach for the first time this past weekend, this year, not the first time right. in my life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> clearly Fl- Floridian has been to the beach more than once. Um, and yeah, so I was able to go there and that was great. And then, um, you know, there was the most magical sunset coming home, honestly, um, that this was last mm-hmm. night and the sun, mm-hmm. it looked, um, it wasn't bright. It was just orange and the way that it was being filtered, you could actually like look at it almost directly. It was almost like, um, like a blood moon. It was mm. a really deep color of orange. It was beautiful. But so got my son worship on and, um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, um, as I told you, we, uh, made a little stop, uh, my partner and I at our, um, high priest house and I uh, got to introduce them for the first time. And that was very cute. Nice. So yeah, good times. Love good- that. Yeah, yeah. Um, going into, I guess, f- water updates would be next. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so this is like feelings, maybe some relationships that you're experiencing. What updates do you have for us there? What's flowing yes. through your life? <laughs> you know, I this like little reprieve of time that we've had um, with work stuff for me has been really great because I've got to really work on my team and, and get everything fit together. Um, it was funny because when we were at Summer Magic Fest, I got a tarot reading there just, you know, for fun. Um, and she was like, ooh, so things are not going to pan out the way that you originally planned, but they're actually going to be better because of the way things didn't work out. And I was like, okay, so she's probably talking about the the hold on stuff at work. No, uh, no, I had to completely reorganize my team um, literally within the last mm. two weeks. And it has been actually really great because I got to weed out some like aspects of our team that I didn't think worked well together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've got to like weed those out and reorganize the team into a much more cohesive group of people. Um, and it has been quite lovely. And so I was like, oh, I see. I see what she meant now. Now it's making <laughs> sense to me. Um, so that's been really nice. And so we're staying on track. Um, and then mentally, I'm just kind of gearing up that like this little like mental slowdown moment is about to kind of gear up for you and I over the next like several weeks, but then also just at work as things kind of get back on track, uh, we'll be moving a lot of stuff around, getting yeah. some stuff open, doing some crazy stuff. So just gearing up that it's about to get real busy up in here. <laughs> the calm before the storm. I love that. That's Absolutely. so cool that you you did have that chance to um, put intention into reorganizing a team. That's great. I love that. I, okay. yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm going through a really similar shift um, at work and it's also really, really exciting. This is one of the largest like kind of change ups in my position that I've had in probably like two and a half years um, in the work that I'm doing, what I'm looking at and what I'm impacting and that's kind of shifting. And so I'm doing effectively like two jobs right now. I'm doing the job that I'm transitioning into and then like maintaining all of the responsibility of the last job. And let's just call it three jobs because then I have to like really um, in a short period of time ramp up uh, the person that's going to be stepping into my responsibilities. Right. Um, Sure. And then helping them ramp up the person that's falling into their responsibilities. Anyways, everything's moving really quickly and it's all work that I love. Um, So it's not as if like, I'm stressed out in a bad way. It's just like a lot of work that's happening. And so I'm having Mm -hmm. to work more days that I'm used to working, which is also totally okay. Um, Because it's a season, right? It's like I can see clearly it's going to end. I think you had that same thing. It's like, so long as you know that this isn't the new normal, (laughs) it's totally Mm -hmm. cool. Um, Manageable, yeah. Yeah, and I think, I I guess for me, what I am appreciating about this season um, and this change is uh, the ability for me to grow. But it also, you know, the more pressure and uncertainty, the more just literal stress that you're going to have, right? We're humans. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think trying to be conscientious and tap into the things that I'm doing that helps keep me grounded, working deeper on, um, you know, meditative acts and like maintaining balance and centeredness and grounding and all of the little cliched words of (laughs) good mental health and also tapping into the tools that I have as a, you know, magical practitioner. Um, It's really nice to need them, uh, like need Mm -hmm. those tools for balancing and then have them. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really finding the value in those things. And mm-hmm. uh also hold hold on to your 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 panties because July 27th, Venus goes retrograde. So that'll be fun. And it's going to stay retrograde until the third of September. So it's a hot minute. Um and this only happens once every year and a half. Um so I so am- when you say hold on to my panties and Venus, like, <laughs> I'm picturing a lot of um, sex magic. And is that what we're talking about you or know, what? Yeah. I think a lot of people relate Mars to sex, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Just, I guess, depends on how you do it. Uh, that, <laughs> uh, sensuality, relationships, beauty, um, the things like that bring, uh, you know, joy to this mortal coil uh, that we have (laughs) experiencing. Those are often like Venusian topics. Um, So so maybe like redefining how you see beauty, redefining some of your relationships. Those could be obviously friendship. They could be romantic. Um, But the Venusian topics we can go into more. I don't know. This is an astrology podcast. Maybe I'll talk about it next time when we do it, when we okay. do our astrology. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but this is it. Only happens once every year and a half, and it's going retrograde, and so there would be some potential influences of challenges in relationships or redefinitions mm-hmm. of relationships. So, um, which I mm-hmm. think you just experience, and a lot of times when these things go retrograde, you feel them before they happen too. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, I think if you're like sensitive to those things and proactive rather than reactive. And mm-hmm. I think that's what I'm doing here. And that's what you're doing, which is like proactively approaching uh, relationships and trying to set them up for success is like the right thing right. to do right now. So listen, you're right on track, Danny. I knew it. 
I knew it. <laughs> Look at me not knowing not a lick about astrology and just knowing yeah. that I was going to need to start reformulating the team. Yeah, I just yeah. I, just I love that. Yeah. Um, all right. So getting into earth challenges – um, earth challenges. Uh, that's funny. Earth uh, topic <laughs> updates. Uh, so this could be um, challenges like just logistically that we're ha- experiencing in our lives, but also, um, you know, what we're purchasing, essentially just anything that's down to earth. This is kind of what we're talking about. Um, for me, I, um, you know, like I said, I'm not trying to get deep into any new topics. Um but there have been a number of books over the last like year or so that I have like uh, been listening to on audio, you know, on Audible, because that's just the most convenient thing. I should probably find a different streaming service because they're owned by Amazon at any rate. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I've been purchasing the hard copies of those things and kind of referencing them and like re- connecting my notes just as part of that like magical book revision thing. Um, so like, for instance, I had listened to the Mar- modern magic by um, Donald Michael Craig with a K. And uh, so I just like purchased uh, the book to then like review it. So I'm trying to like not take anything mm-hmm. net new in, but rather just kind of review the things that I had been looking at and create like kind of more notes around it. Um, so that's how I justify a purchase. Did you hear that? Was that smooth enough for you? I, I mean, I, I heard it, but what I really heard was this was an extended purchase. You know what I mean? Like you had already purchase the audible book. Yeah. yeah, I, right? I do that though. I do that a lot. And I used to feel, mm-hmm. yeah, like, oh, you're not supposed to double buy, you know, books, but it's it like when I read a book, I'm not reading it to be like, oh yeah, uh, that was interesting. And to have entertainment, like I'm really reading it to absorb like net new ideas or net new mm-hmm. practices. And so when I read something, it's like I'm taking a class in that thing. Um, especially yeah. with these books that are about traditions and magic. If it was just a fiction book, I wouldn't feel compelled to have both the like audio version and the hard copy. Right. Um, but there's so much like reference, um, and notes that I actually physically take that having both of those is valuable. And I'm an auditory learner. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I have dyslexia. And so I have no problem like using all the tools at my disposal to help me really um, understand and um, use, like put into action the things that I'm learning. So yeah, totally doubled down. Uh, you're welcome, Donald Michael Craig. I bought <laughs> <laughs> every uh, version of your book you could have, uh, I guess. So. But yeah, yeah, it totally is a little bit of a justification, but I feel great about it. I feel great. Yeah. No, no, no guilt I think, here. I think the way that you do it is a great way to vet books too. Cause like you listen to it on Audible and if you're like, eh, no, I don't actually want to create tangible clutter in my house with this, mm-hmm. then it is stowed away. Meanwhile, I'm over here and can't let go of a single book ever <laughs> because I feel like I find value in all things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like if there was one line in the book that I was like, that's a good idea, now I have to keep it for the rest of my life. So uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe we should do that episode on uh, note taking and stuff uh, sooner for for me <laughs> from a learning yeah yeah totally. How about you? Um, did we go over this? Or are yeah. you? Yeah. I mean, I don't have anything. I one, I've been trying not to purchase mm-hmm. new things. I'm trying to like clean and refine life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, you know, it's just the same challenges of like kind of being in this uh, liminal space between, especially from work, from between like where we are now and where we're going to be in a month. Same thing with, you know, our outer court and all of that, like where we are now, where we're going to be. So there's just a lot going on. So I'd 
it's just the same challenges, right? Just keeping up with the day to day and making sure that um, I don't feel like overwhelmed and everything mm-hmm. that's going on and that I feel like there's a certain level of control because I feel like I have a handle on it all. Um, so that's really been kind of what I'm going through, but nothing, nothing specific, really just riding this thing out. That's great. That's good. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the goal. That's great. Awesome. All right. Well, um, thanks for catching up in our, what you up to. Uh, let's transition now into the topic at hand. Um, we had a really great conversation uh, during our last episode going into the air and fire aspects of our Appalachian folk magic topic. And I'm so excited for you to share your earth topics and your water topics um, and just continue the conversation. So take it away. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So we left off last time kind of talking about um, how we kind of – magic is kind of woven into the language, the music. Um, it was in my notes and I, we didn't touch on it, but I also had written about like dancing. You know, mm. so the Appalachia, that area famous for a little line dancing, you know. Um, and really mm-hmm. when you think about it from a ritual perspective, like that's a building of energy, right? Everyone is doing a synchronized thing towards a common goal. Um, and so like from a magical purpose, I'm like, y'all are doing some witchcraft right now. We are we are line dancing and yeehawing up uh, and then releasing this energy into the other, right? So I actually about be about three years ago, I went to a local place that does like country music or whatever and was literally mesmerized just watching people line dance. Like just was like over there with my uh, little Jaeger and Sprite. Don't judge me. <laughs> judge your mom. Um, and so I'm here and Sprite just like mesmerized watching people line dance. And I was like, this is a magical act. Like obviously none of these people probably mm-hmm. feel that way, but this is totally a magical thing that we're doing right now. Um, a magical coordinated thing. There are a lot of devout Christians that would agree that dancing is the work of the devil. So I think you're right. (laughs) Right Um, on track. Yeah. No, no, it's like I have seen, I have seen line dancing and I've also obviously seen videos of it. And a lot of times they're all moving in synchronicity, of course, but they're also often all moving in a circular direction, even when they're not doing the choreographed, like, you know, five, six, seven, eight, like if they're doing the dancing around the circle, kind of like a roller rink Mm -hmm. almost, like there's that kind of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought about that. That's great. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about it when I was talking about the magic thing. And so I jot that line down because I was like, oh yeah, it's even like woven into the actions. And then I left it out last episode and I was like, oh wait, no, I want to come back to that. Cause we're just, we're making a ritual circle on the dance floor uh, you know, whenever we are line dancing. Love it. <laughs> Grab your partner, do si do. <laughs> Summons demons, don't you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that we both were like ready for it. <laughs> All right. So then when we get into so water, we're talking about histories and feelings. So we've talked a lot about like what is Appalachia? What are some practices? What are some like tangible categories and things to kind of wrap our minds around that topic? But if we talk about like where does it come from? Again, when you read the books, you're going to get a lot of a history lesson, but there's not a lot of tangible dates. There's not a lot of tangible 
um, information, but there's a lot of information about the groups of people. So when we talk about Appalachian folk magic, again, magic made by the folks for the folks, boo-boo, reach out to us. Um, <laughs> this is really what we're talking about. So it's hard to define really a timestamp because these practices really developed on the needs of the people and those developed over time as the needs of the people have kind of changed over time. So um, a lot of these were passed down not in writing as well. Many of them are passed along family lines. Like we don't have a family grimoire that I'm aware of, um, <laughs> of these practices. These were just things that were mundanely passed down f- through your mundane tasks. And so um, I think when we think about the history, we also have to acknowledge some of the limitations of the history, which are that a lot of the people who settled in the mountains were people of lesser means for whatever reason. And so um, many of them were illiterate. And so a lot of these practices weren't codified. They weren't written down anywhere. Um, You know, the best we can usually come up with is like grandma's recipe note cards, Mm -hmm. uh, if if grandma could write, you know. So um, those are really all of the codified history that we have. Um, But we can look at the history of the people. So the people have a ton of history. Um, So there are lots of different influences to Appalachian folk magic. And I think we really have to acknowledge the people, to understand the practices. And so, um, and part of that's acknowledging some of the ugly history to do with Appalachia. Um, so when we were talking about, you know, where does it come from? We're talking about some of those are African practices, um, most often from enslaved people. Um, so not anyone that I'm aware of was coming from Africa to Appalachia of their own accord. Right. And so a lot of those were coming a lot of enslaved people were coming with their practices from home, a lot of which were also folk practices. Um, and so these would be your, you know, your, what are commonly called your witch doctors, your conjurers, your root workers, a lot of our spiritual plant knowledge. So not our practical plant knowledge, um, but our spiritual plant knowledge comes from these groups. So these are also your hex doctors. Um, a lot of these were also seen as, you know, I, and I hate when I hear this verbiage because it comes, it's rooted in racism, but people don't recognize it. But when we talk about white magic and black magic, yeah. light magic and dark yeah. magic, um, a lot of what we perceive as being like baneful magic workings come from these groups. But I think we also have to recognize that these groups experienced a lot of negative things and therefore the magic made from the people, by the people, for the people, uh, were to counteract those things that they were experiencing. And so a lot of those were baneful practices, not because the groups of people themselves were baneful, not because um, their aims were baneful, but just like any other group, they were looking for opportunities and they were looking to change around their fate and they were looking to determine their own destinies. And so um, a lot of the workings they were doing were to counteract the horrible things that were being done to them yeah. um, and rightfully so to gain some revenge and some justice in a world that was not designed around them. So, um, so I think a lot of when we talk about baneful practices, that's where they come from. But again, I would like to like change that narrative to like a lot of those practices were to negate what they were experiencing, which oftentimes was negative. You know, they, mm-hmm. there were a lot of barriers and obstacles to opportunity for them. Um, there were a lot of, I mean, literal deaths um, happening attributed to a group of people, white people, um, who were taking advantage of them. So, yeah, let me ask you this. So, um, in the yeah. last episode, there was um, 
a book that you're referencing the title of, and then also, you know, just touching on how people refer to some of these folk magic practices and Mm -hmm. um, like Appalachian hoodoo, like hoodoo Mm -hmm. being um, often, as I understand it, I'm obviously not an expert at all. So could be talking about talking on my ass, but um, I see hoodoo as being the potential like magical version of voodoo, whereas voodoo is the religion. Hoodoo could be, uh, let's say, Wicca is to voodoo, how hoodoo is to witchcraft. So there's a religion and then there's like maybe the magical practice being two separate things. Is that how you understand the, the usage of the word hoodoo? Yes and no. So, and so I feel like hoodoo is its own category. So voodoo is a initiatory African based religion. Right. Um, and so I don't know a ton about voodoo. Um, I, my knowledge of voodoo does come from hoodoo. So I feel like it is kind of this intermediary, but it's hoodoo really developed on its own from these groups of people being brought here and then being assimilated into Christianity. So there are a ton of hoodoo practices that are actually Bible based. Mm, um mm-hmm. so they do a lot of root work and things using Psalms of the Bible, using um stories and and figures um from the Bible. Um and they really turned the Bible into a spell book. I see. Um and so they are kind of this br- separate branching sect in my mind um, of people who really in response to their environment and the change in their environment and the change in kind of the trajectory of their lives took that Appalachian, um, well, no, took that African spirit plant magic, combined it with now the knowledge of all these new plants and things that maybe were unfamiliar to them, but they now had to get to know in a spiritual way and really becoming the go-to people, I mean, the the, the masters of that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then trying to find a way to still work those practices in an area that was heavily Christianized and would otherwise demonize their practice um, and finding the way a way to use the Bible in their practices so that, one, I think they're more palatable. Um, but two, I think there is also the recognition that all of these people believe and use this method of of religion, then it holds a lot of power. And so how do we harness that power to do the workings that we want to do and to maybe more safely do those workings? Um, so in my mind, hoodoo is really a, a break off of, Apple, of um, African practice um, that really developed its own, mm-hmm. its whole own uh, methodology. Um, and this is also coming from me, someone who knows very little about voodoo. So someone who knows about voodoo might be like, oh no, like they're right up our alley. But um, I, I think in my mind, they're very different things. Um, and it really, I think hoodoo speaks more to the uh, enslavement of people and, and the changing of their lives and and what would have been. And it's really just a response to their change in environment um, and and Mm-hmm. You know, how do we practice in a place that has completely different foliage, completely different, you know, everything that is normal and, and novel to us? You're right. Yeah. I mean, I think that I maybe literally I think somebody could have told me this. And so maybe that's where I'm getting it. But that hoodoo yeah. was like not a religion. And so I I, mm-hmm. I think more so do understand it as a spiritual practice and not yeah. just like the working of like a spell or something. 
Well, and even the working of a spell still requires um, some kind of energetic input, which then often makes that spiritual. Uh, but yeah, I can see that. So voodoo um, being brought to a new place and um, being uh, exposed to different practices and different flora, different fauna, and having its own um, challenges with having to um, assimilate, but really just kind of like almost suppress some of the mm-hmm. uh, practices and make them more palatable using um, your conquerors, <laughs> religion and gods. Religion, and book. Yeah. 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 So it's always, you know, I, I just want to say it's always uncomfortable for me to talk about voodoo and hoodoo, not knowing that much um, about, uh, and I probably know more than a lot of people would, but I still would never put on to say I know a lot about the topic. Um, but yeah, I think it's same. like, I'm totally okay to be vulnerable enough to speak to these things and say, oh, I don't know that, or, oh, this is what I thought before. And I think that like, I want to continue to approach topics that are sensitive with respect, but also like not be afraid to address it because if we're afraid to even like touch on it for fear of like, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm going to fuck it up, then like, we're never going to move forward and like learn. So, um, so thanks for, thanks for bringing it up. And, um, I am interested in learning more um, and bringing more people on our show to shed light on these topics, especially yeah. the all being within this kind of spiritual space. Um, yeah, thanks. for sure. And it, it's definitely one of those things where I think like it's all about the respect paid, right? So the whole point in having this conversation is to say like this group of people heavily influenced Appalachian folk magic. Um, and some of it, it's hard to extract now and say like, this was voodoo, this was hoodoo, this was indigenous practices, because it's all become so algamated that it's very hard to pull those out. But we do have some threads that we can say like, no, this is distinctly Mm -hmm. an African practice. Um, And so I think it's important to call that out. And I also think it's important to be vulnerable and say like, yeah, my, the group of people I am from were the oppressors in this situation. Right. And so um, to both pay homage to those groups and say like, your your background, your family, like they pay, made such a huge sacrifice um, and, you know, being torn from their lives to come here. But they also created this beautiful thing that lives on now still um, in Appalachian folk magic. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're going to have those tough conversations <laughs> and uh, totally willing to be wrong. You know, I would love for somebody who has a background in voodoo and hoodoo, who understands those things a lot more clearly than I do to say, Actually, here's some new information, uh, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of critical thinking and changing your mind in the presence of new facts. And um, so totally, l- let's talk about it. Let's dig into <laughs> it. Love it. Yeah. Um, and then when we talk about you know more of those groups who influenced Appalachian folk magic, we can't ignore the people who were literally here before us. Um, so when we talk about indigenous practices, we're talking about those groups of people. And again, huge land area, which also means huge different groups of people who were already here. Um, So when we talk about our indigenous peoples, those people um, where I'm from, so those would be um, East Cherokee, Yuki, and Tutelo land. um, And I could be slaughtering those names, so I apologize. But um, those are the groups of people that I'm familiar with. But really, it, it runs a whole gamut of so many different tribes and groups that lived essentially from Southern New York, um, less up there because it gets real cold, but all the way down through um, Northeastern Mississippi. So um, those indigenous people really gave us a lot. And when I say gave, I say 
both from shared and taken mm-hmm. practices. Um, but those would include a lot of our agricultural knowledge. So literally, how do we grow things in this soil? Who is the best person to tell us that than literally the people who have been here and have hundreds of years of knowledge of what grows well here and what doesn't? So a lot of our agricultural knowledge comes from indigenous people. A lot of our medicinal plant knowledge comes from these people. Um, again, they didn't have Western medicine. Uh, I guess they did in the form that they were from the West um, and they invented the medicine, but they didn't have you know accredited doctors. They had medicine people. Um, and those people knew how to use the plant knowledge and the plant lore from this land to help their people and to feed the souls of their people, to feed the spirituality of their people, um, and to ensure that the physical health of these people were um, kept in good health, essentially. So um, those people, the indigenous people, really gave us a lot of our agricultural medicinal knowledge um, and a lot of our practical knowledge, right? So um, coming to a new place, a lot of our ancestors didn't know, like, what kind of dangers they should be aware of venomous snakes uh which ones we haven't seen these these snakes these flora these fauna before so a lot of our practical knowledge of the land also comes from our indigenous groups and then as far as who else settled into the mountains we had our irish scottish welsh western european groups of people um this is the large majority of my family um are scottish and irish um and western european so um with them came a lot of our superstitions. So this is where your whisper wills come into practice. Uh, so uh, if whisper wills a completely new term, um, this idea that um, you might see something in like the periphery of your vision, a lot of times described as like a light or like a blue spark. Um, there's a good example of this in the Disney movie Mirda, where she like follows this little like Hers is almost like a little map trail, like into mm-hmm. the woods, um, but typically more often described as like a, a light in the, in the corner of the eye that you like follow into the woods. That's a cr- cataract. Um, that's a cataract <laughs> right there. That's a that's a stigmatism. Mm-hmm. I mean, most likely, uh, but a lot of people had <laughs> whole spiritual experiences in sure. the woods. Again, maybe don't follow your name. Uh, not, a, <laughs> not a good practice, but um, with these whisper wills. So a lot of our our superstitious knowledge comes from these groups, um, along with the Mabinagi. So um, in the Welsh traditional lore, um, so a lot of that uh, folklore based. Um, knowledge, a lot of the knowledge around um, birth, death, rebirth, kind of coming from that folklore that was then brought here and practice. So a lot of of old superstitions and um, some of them just practical superstitions like we've talked about. And then of course, our heavy hitter, our heavy influencer is Christianity. Um, so the use of the Bible as a spell book, again, just being um, kind of algamated into hoodoo practice and what became hoodoo practice was um, really viewing religion and spirituality and kind of trying to traverse that gap of like Christianity being very like, put all of your faith in God, put all of your faith in Jesus. And then how do we um, overcome that in such a way, kind of bridge the gap to practical magic and and witchcraft? Um, and how do we make it more pal- palatable? How do we assimilate these two things um, to make them make sense? So if you're someone who shows up in church every Sunday, how do you then align that with your family uh, 
um, magic, magical witchcraft superstitious traditions. Um, and so a lot of our witchcraft is very, very heavily steeped in Christianity. And a, a lot of Christianity in that area is also influenced by the witchcraft, which is interesting because a lot of that area is considered the Bible belt, right? Mm-hmm. Very traditional, very, um, but it wasn't always that way. And so, um, this is probably a really good transition then into our earth challenges and integrations is um, witchcraft as we know it now in Appalachian folk magic has really changed a lot over time and has changed with the history of the peoples. And so um, Christianity, as it has kind of taken a stronghold in Appalachia, um, it has really changed the magic there. Um And I think some ways that make me really sad um, because as Christianity has become just ever more pervasive there, magic has become harder and harder to find. Um, And a lot of your practitioners, I think, have been written off as crazy people, backwoods people, um, the less affluent um, Mm -hmm. people. There is definitely just within my own family, um, a class separation between those who became wealthy often on the backs of other people, poor, vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that those were the most Christian and pious of them all. Right. And so on the other end are poor people who still have such a, a reverence and a, um, I would not to pass judgment, I guess, but I would say an even more, devout understanding of Christianity, um, those people being written off as the less deserving. Um, and those were the poorer people. And those were the, um, people who were practicing magic, um, because they were not living up to the Bible in the American pick and choose what you will version of Christianity. So. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people would, you know, hillbillies, right? Literally mm-hmm. the people <laughs> from the hills um, that could have eyes or could not have eyes. Um, just kidding. Uh, but there is, <laughs> right? There's this like um, general judgment of people from Appalachia who, you know, speak and have the accent of the people and maybe have held on to tradition and traditional beliefs mm-hmm. and are um, superstitious and they're uneducated and poor. And that's why they are, uh, you know, open to believing these things that are clearly just made up fantasies. And it's Mm -hmm. like the separation of like, Ooh, is that actually something that's based in classism or is that a narrative that Christianity and Christians who are trying to debunk or devalue some of these practices, are they aligning their judgments in a classist way to make it less clear that it's coming from like a monotheistic mm-hmm. judgment or, you know, is it, is it classist yeah. or is it religious? Hard to say. However, it's still the fact that when a lot of people hear, um, a Southern accent or hear, you know, a tradition of like, um, a superstition, like, you know, throw salt over your uh, shoulder if you spill it. And that can be looked at as like less educated, silly Mm -hmm. superstition. However, um, you know, genuflecting, you know, the sign of the cross is totally acceptable. And believing in a God that 
was a zombie and rose again. And there's a book that was written thousands of years after, you know, like, but that's okay. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like this really interesting place of judgment that's been created where if you talk a certain way, you're not educated. If you have superstitions, it's because you're uneducated. Um, and how that's potentially classist and, and really just problematic in general. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it's, it's one of those unfortunate things that I think as that area does become more modernized. Um, so for instance, uh, up on the mountain where my papa's from, that area has landlines now and apparently can now get access to the internet, which is wild to me um, <laughs> because that, and that was a huge issue. Like I remember one time we had to call an ambulance, which by the way, doesn't come up the mountain. So we had to get him from the mountain in a car down the mountain to an ambulance. Um, but when we needed to do that, we had to use the landline and like if something happened to that landline, like that was our only source of getting to somebody off of the mountain. And so um, my, my aunt is the one who was there and she was trying to use her cell phone and she's known, I mean, for decades that like <laughs> right. it, not, there's no signal up there, but she's like trying to you know, get a hold of someone on a cell phone because he's not answering his door. And then she's like, there is no signal up here. It says to kick down the door and use the landline to call an ambulance and figure out how to get him off the mountain. And so, um, but now there's internet up there, which means there's cell signal. And so as the people have access to more modernized things, which of course is a benefit in, in so many ways, it removes a lot of barriers to access and, and to knowledge and all of those things. The magic has become a lot harder to find um, in some ways. Um, and so people are less dependent on their neighbors. People are less dependent on um, each other. And so I, I think there's both a loss of community a little bit there. But then there's also like a doubling down of, okay, well, where are we getting our community from? We're going to go to the church, right? So there's also the loss of the home as the sacred place. And now the church is the sacred place. Um, and, and there's just a lot of materialism that like now that a lot of our needs are being met, we don't need these practices anymore. And it, it's mm -hmm. really sad to see is kind of this loss of knowledge and this loss of like tribal and familial knowledge that has been passed down, um, kind of being poo-pooed and written off. Um, you know, the shift from folklore of the land to more of like the storytelling of the Bible, um, Christianity, again, kind of taking over some of these practices like hoodoo. Um, where that was its own practice that has now been so heavily steeped in Christianity that they are not separable. And people who who practice those, I was listening actually to a podcast of someone who um, practices hoodoo, and he was like, "Those two things are uh, unseparable now. Uh, there is no way to really practice this without the use of the Bible, um, or at least a general working knowledge of the Bible, because." Every working, every spell, every all of that has now Christian roots. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's hard to separate those things. And, and it's hard to not define yourself as a Christian and practice these practices. Um, because there has to be, you know, kind of touching back to, you know, the belief in angels, there has to be some belief in this practice and in this energy in order to do these practices. Um, and then also as we Kind of shift from dependence on that community and kind of operating in, in somewhat of this transactional, but also gift economy. So if, if you had more than your neighbor, then sharing that wealth. Um, now we're kind of shifting to self-reliance and more of a transactional economy. Um, and those groups of people who are were dependent on gift economy 
and who still are operating in those ways now have less opportunity, you know, like if, if they can't operate in this transactional economy, again, they're just backwards people with no opportunity who have so little and, and are now becoming more and more impoverished from my view of things. Um, as inflation goes up, as the need to make more money, like if you don't get on board with capitalism, you're getting left behind. Um, and, and so that is becoming even more visible to me, you know, as the interest in having more and more documentaries about Appalachia. And I think some of them come from a, a place of dignity, but very few of them do, where they just want to show how destitute these people are. Um, and I feel like really upscale the narrative that these people have so little, um, when a lot of times from their view, they actually have so much, right? If you if you have a healthy family, if you have food on your table, if you have you know basic income, then they feel like they've won. And there was one I was uh, in an interview I was watching with someone who um, she has epilepsy um, and a lot of times can't afford her medication and um, talking about how she has always lived with her family and several generations of her family because she can't be left alone mm -hmm. um, because of the risk of seizing and that she um, currently doesn't have custody of her daughter because of the the risk of her like living alone with her daughter. So technically her mom has custody of her daughter, but they all live in the same house. And um, I, they did this really great thing, I think, where they asked, they said, well, if you, you know, could live, you know, in, in a, a less rural place, if you could live maybe not in a city, but in a suburban area, or maybe you have greater access to doctors and, and maybe you would have more of these opportunities, you know, would you? And she's kind of in this like rambled down shack and she was like, absolutely not. Like, I have everything I need here. Like, this is the life that I love and there's nothing for me there. Mm -hmm. um, so this kind of rejection of capitalist society both has its benefits in keeping the magic alive, but understandably, it's also a great sacrifice for these people to say, actually, I don't want access to these opportunities because I feel like the trade-off there is giving up my way of life. And I'm not willing to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I think I th there is, of course, like we can easily glamorize some of these things and we could mm -hmm. easily say like, oh, they're just afraid of change and they're afraid that that will lead to sure. failure. Um, but it's also like uh, you're having to identify what good is. And mm -hmm. I think um, a lot of Southern people um, far uh, put, put far more value on family relationships mm -hmm. Um the ability to have less stress, uh, you know, a slower pace of life, like all of those Absolutely. things are actually indicators of success. Whereas, you know, the amount of things that you own or the quality of things that you have access to matters less. And so it just depends on like your value system. And I think we're always mm -hmm. putting this capitalistic um, lens of success and what is good and what is bad on these situations. But, um, you know, there's, there's so many people that come from so many means that, you know, experience lots of unhappiness. And so it's just a, a value system that often, I, I do agree. I think there's probably some fetishizing of like these poor people and how could they possibly Absolutely. choose to be poor? And it's like, they would, I mean, I know my family has looked on uh, well-off people and judged them for selling their time for money and not being able mm -hmm. to spend time with their friends and how what a travesty it is to not take time off and, and things like that. So it just depends on your values.
For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, and it's one of those things where like rejection of capitalist values has become like, they're like, oh, well, you're just getting left behind. Like, oh, that's just uh, ignorant mentality. But again, it's that, it's that values thing. Like you said that so well is um, it's, it's about where you put the value. Um, and I think for me, I put the value in keeping some of those practices alive. And so it's really sad to see so many of them die out or so many of them be kind of poo-pooed as, um, well, this was practices from when we were uneducated and didn't mm-hmm. know any better. Um, and I'm just like, oh, but some of them had like real world implications and and to not understand them is to actually not understand your history. Um, and so, you know, there's those things that I think are really sad to lose access to. And then, of course, with greater access to modern medicine, which I can't stress enough that I I feel like I'm in this weird boat from like a health sciences perspective where I'm like, no, please take your fucking antibiotics. Um, <laughs> but also um, wanting to keep a lot of those practices that actually have practical application and did work, um, wanting to keep those alive, but also be like, yeah, but I think, you know, antibiotics were a really great thing that we invented and we should just maybe in- invest a little bit in them when it's useful. I mean, not for the flu, it's not going to help you at all. Um, then rely on your tribal plant knowledge. But, um, you know, I think with greater access to modern medicine, there is kind of this loss of knowledge and practice. There has kind of become this dependence, particularly with the opioid crisis on like, if there's a pill for that, that's magic and we should take that. Um, and sometimes to the undoing of the people, right. For every injury and every, I mean, I know family members who like had a dental surgery and then were given opioids mm-hmm. for a basic dental surgery where they could have just been given some Tylenol um, and then became addicted to opioids. And so here we are with the opioid crisis. Um, and so kind of as we've, and I think that's, it speaks to a bigger topic, I think to um, as we have access to more modern medicine there is a loss of knowledge and a dependence on pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical industry that I think has become dangerous in a lot of ways. Um, and so that also kind of contributes to kind of the loss of these practical applications. And then I think there's also, it would be remiss of us to not acknowledge that there is a lack of recognition and acknowledgement of the gifts that were given to Appalachian folk magic by minority groups, um, just simply by white colonialism, bootstrap theory, racism, and discrimination. I think when we talk about Appalachian folk magic, a lot of people have this nuanced picture of like a lady in the hills, a white lady cooking in her kitchen. Um, and those were not the main contributors to Appalachian folk magic. It was those African and indigenous peoples. Um, It was some of our Irish, Scottish, Welsh, Western European peoples. But by and large, I think the image of Appalachian folk magic is getting replaced with terms like granny magic, where it's this Mm. white old lady in her kitchen. And and while I acknowledge that when we talk about people from Appalachia, predominantly those people are white, um, to ignore that most of those practices actually came from people of color um, would be horribly remiss. And so I think there is a whitewashing of the history and a whitewashing of the practice. Um, and even when we talk about things like granny magic, it is a slow kind of ushering out of our actual history and replacing it with white colonialism. Um that's really, really th- interesting. I just want to pause there. Like, yeah, yeah. when you take something 
and replace it with like folk practice and say granny magic, like nobody's thinking potentially of that person not being a white person. I I, I think there's yeah. very few people that would be like granny magic, you know, people of color, right? Whereas like right. folk, I think probably better represents. Are there any other like terms that you think are interchangeable or less whitewash for folk magic? Or is it just folk magic? I don't know. Is it woods well, woods magic or? I think if you're talking to white practitioners of folk magic, what you'll often find, and I can admit to this a little bit myself, is there's this a little bit of like, well, voodoo is not for me because it's initiatory mm. religious practice, right? And so then we we kind of fall into this trap of being like, well, everything that is from people of color is either indigenous Indian practice or it's hoodoo because we don't know where else to place those things in our mind. Um, and that's where I think I, if we could lift the voices more often of people of color who practice Appalachian folk magic, um, they have really unique perspectives, especially coming from families where like all of their family members are people of color. They have really unique perspectives of like, well, we call this hill folks hoodoo, but if you go somewhere else, they might not even call this hoodoo at all. This is just familial practice. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think we get into, especially coming from the outside where we want so badly to label and categorize things because it makes more sense for our brains. Um, where we fall into this trap of like Appalachian folk magic is white and hoodoo is black or minority groups of people. And voodoo is um, African. So it's, it's even, it's even farther down the line spectrum, like the color spectrum of people. And so we fall into this trap where we're like, well, Appalachian folk magic is white. And that is to minimalize and and to essentially whitewash the history of where it actually comes from. And so when I see terms like granny magic, I do cringe a little bit on the inside because I, I also think that it's just a misnomer. Like it's not granny magic. It's just Appalachian folk magic because your granny had all this knowledge from having lived a full life um, or hopefully lived a full life. Um, but I also cringe because – what image do people have when you think of your granny? Now, if you're somebody of color and you do call your grandmother granny, then that probably is an image of your grandmother. But if you're a white person or you probably think of little old white ladies knitting in a circle and you aren't thinking about someone's black grandmother or someone's hoodoo or voodoo grandparents um, practicing hoodoo or voodoo practicing grandparents. And so um, I think there is a whitewashing of these things that um, I think if we talk about it more and, and if we keep lifting the voices of people who aren't white, we can get back to the space of not, mm -hmm. not segregating it in such a way. And it is, it's a form of segregation where we're like, hoodoo is people of color. Now, there are a lot of hoodoo practitioners who are white, but that practice does come from African practice kind of being meshed together with Christian sure. practice. And and we just we lose some of that and, and some of that recognition and some of that acknowledgement. I think not to put you on the spot, but are there any people yeah. of color that are thought leaders in this space of Appalachian folk practices that you know of? Off the top of my head, I think it was. Oh, I'd have to go back and double check. It's either the Invoking Witchcraft podcast. Or it's Coffee and Cauldrons podcast. Um, there was a really great episode with a hoodoo practitioner, and, and he's the person I'm referencing when I talk about um, saying it's it's very hard to extricate Christianity from hoodoo mm -hmm. practice. Um, had a lot of 
really good thoughts, I think, around like being a person of color in Appalachia and and what that means and what that means for your practice and how um, a lot of times indigenous and black people get overlooked as being part of those practices. Um, and I would have to look up their name and I'll, I'll include it in the show notes for sure, because um, that is the person I kind of think of as like being someone who kind of speaks about their familiar practices as being like black practices um, and, and really not looking at Appalachian folk magic through a white lens and a solely white lens. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I don't think there's a ton. I think of I might have found out there. Yeah, I might have found it. Uh, it's a coffee and culture and spirituality and Christianity and root work and hoodoo featuring yes. Afro spiritual. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely include them. They have a lot of really great thoughts. Um, I follow a couple people on Instagram too, where I, Instagram is this weird place where like, I feel like I don't know anyone's real life name. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know what their real name is, but I can link their um, Instagrams as well, um, where they have really interesting thoughts on um, hoodoo and voodoo and where those things kind of cross, but then also how Christianity crosses with hoodoo. Um, and also just paying homage to where these place these practices came from. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think the when we don't talk about it and we don't acknowledge the whitewashing of it, we do lose the history. Um and then we do lose the roots. We we lose where it where it comes from and we lose the opportunity to give thanks and and gratitude to where these things came from. Awesome. Yeah, I think their I think the guest was called Afro spiritual. I think that's how mm-hmm. they refer to themselves. Perfect. Yeah. yeah cool. I think they give their name to in the podcast episode itself, okay. but um, I'll, I'd have we'll to dig in it. to get their actual name. Yeah. Um, and then there's also, I think part of that whitewashing too is, and you and I have come, like stumbled across this revelation in our podcast that um, you tend to approach topics from a place of questioning, um, like questioning the practice. And why is that a thing where, where I'm just like, Thank you so much for this knowledge and I will take this and it is mine <laughs> yeah. now. Like I feel like a raccoon of people's knowledge where I'm just like, okay, thank you so much. Now I just am going to accept this as part of my practice and and because it was given to me as a gift. And so often because we come from this ideas of not questioning practices, belief systems, um, because these came typically from family and trusted community members, right? So uh, there's also a respect thing there in the South of like not – questioning where these things came from, um, that these can really perpetuate harmful ideas that don't serve individuals and can potentially be harmful to minority groups. So a great example of this is the grainy magic thing where um, where we don't question these came from my granny. Well, where did your granny get them from? Um, because if we don't question those things, then it becomes a whitewashing of that history, right? So I think also this is bigger in the Bible Belt and and in the South in general, where um, when we don't question our beliefs, they can perpetuate discriminatory beliefs. They can perpetuate racism. They can perpetuate all these things. Um, I think uh, particularly with bootstrap theory and like disability communities, like, well, everyone has the same opportunity. Like, no, we actually all don't. Thank you so much. Uh, so no, just trying your best and trying your damnedest doesn't actually always translate into good outcomes and results. Mm-hmm. Not for everybody. Um, and to 
ignore that and to glaze over that um, and not ask those questions and not question our belief systems and why we believe those things to be true um, really is to limit our way of thinking and to perpetuate stereotypes that are very harmful to those groups. So, I mean, I think also um, for a long time, questioning something was like, where are you going to get a different viewpoint, right? Like if you don't have access to other people, other books, or the internet and technologies like that, Mm -hmm. then literally like it's almost futile to question. And it really is just seen as being um, argumentative and like just trying to buck the system. And yeah, there's a lot of compliance too that I think has been bred into a lot of like Southern cultures where it's like Mm -hmm. it is impolite to question and to create debate. Um, and you don't do that if you're a nice person. So yeah, I think there was right. a lot of accepting Absolutely. of what is given to you. And that's just the way that it is. Um, because like, who else is going to tell you any different? And what's the point? Um, and obviously, mm-hmm. that is changing with time. But I think that point of like, it's not as if you are throwing out traditions, if you question them. And it's mm-hmm. also like, whatever the answer is, so long as you're holding space for that truth, it's not like it will no longer be part of your practice if you find out, for instance, that it's super problematic and actually came and was taken uh, by your great great grandparent from somebody that they were enslaved. Um, you, you know, uh, it's totally possible to hold space to say that was originally a terrible practice and a terrible act, and I'm going to accept that, hold space, and you know, still have these traditions. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so I think, yeah. I don't know, for me, like questioning things doesn't mean I ever want to not um, continue to perform them or continue to move in that, that same direction, but it's just like being fully aware of the implications of what you're choosing to believe is important. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things that like, I, I, we stumbled across that while we were recording and we were like, oh, I've never put together that perhaps the reason I don't question things is because I have been trained throughout my life and throughout my family to not uh push the boundaries. And and it's not even like a, a, it's not even a thought in my brain where I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't question that. It's literally that I mentally don't question it because it's a gift to me. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm being presented with a gift, who am I to question the gift? Yeah. And so it it really has been a, a change in my thought, in my thought pattern to be like, okay, but where does that thing come from? And why is it a thing? And I, I'm not bucking tradition by asking those questions. Um, if anything, I'm holding space and, and paying tribute to where it came from and giving the proper acknowledgments to the groups of people it actually came from. And so, um, yeah, so that, you know, especially in the South where sometimes it can become an echo chamber, because like you said, if you don't have access to other resources, you could ask everyone in your family and still get the same answer. Mm -hmm. So it just becomes an echo chamber of belief that perpetuates these stereotypes. Um, And so I think the beautiful thing about parts of the South and and rural areas getting more access and resources is that they're being exposed to different opinions and, and they're kind of being forced to change their mind and forced to really look at their own belief systems and hold the mirror up to themselves and say, Ooh, is this a self-serving belief system that has perpetuated harm to other people? Or is this an actual factual thing that I know to be true? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think while that's been a beautiful thing, it has also kind of contributed a little bit to the loss of some of those practices to which I'm also like, well, damn it all. Some of them are 
horrible, harmful practices that probably should be questioned and maybe should just slip away with time. Um, Like perpetuating that new mothers should have to go to the church instead of (laughs) maybe seeing a doctor first. Uh, What the fuck? No, like (laughs) let's, let's drop that one. That one's dumb. We should lose that one. Um, And then, you know, while we're talking about resources kind of heading into these areas, I do have some hope for the future. Um, I do have some hope that Appalachian folk magic, um, there is this resurgence kind of, and this return of some tribal knowledge and regional knowledge through social media. So as areas, particularly our most urban area, or sorry, rural areas are getting more access to urban forms of knowledge. Um, And as people are becoming connected in these very rural areas to each other, um, there is this like resurgence of, you know, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook reels where people are sharing their familiar practices. And then someone way far away is like, wait, my family does that too. Where did you guys learn it from? Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're making these connections and we're kind of unearthing some of this history that has maybe been lost or or covered up or, um, and I think there has kind of been this resurgence of young people being interested in Appalachian folk magic, you know, some for better, for worse. So this resurgence of like, I want real bona fide granny magic. Uh, okay. Let's have a history mm-hmm. lesson, right? Let's get to <laughs> dig into the history of it, but it's great that people are talking about it because it's bringing to the forefront, um, you know, some of these knowledge practices that I think were kind of being lost, of course, with anything, there's some harmful parts of that, like this whole resurgence of the essential oil. You can cure anything with some essential oil crowd. Um, this this resurgence of, I'm going to do air quotes around holistic medicine, um, where it's really, again, that wellness crowd that I don't appreciate so much, um, deciding they know way more than medicine people that these things came from, um, and knowing way more than pharmaceutical industries from, you know, mm-hmm. their couch witchcraft. Yeah. I feel like um, last, our last episode, the message was just mind your business. Um, right. If you hear your name, just keep going. If you're at a crossroad, don't pick nothing up. Just keep going. Um, if you see something on the corner of your eye, maybe, maybe don't follow it. Maybe follow it. I don't know. And then this episode <laughs> is like, you know, what's really important critical thinking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is like accepting actually- nuanced, complicated situations where things can both be traditional and great and modern and terrible and things can be traditional and terrible and modern and great, right? Like yes. we have to have discernment. We have to attempt to educate ourselves as much as possible and not take things at face value. Yet it's still really valuable to hold on to some of these, you know, traditions for many, many reasons. Um, so I like, yeah. I like, the, I like the message just, you know, like a yeah. l- little bit of critical thinking. A little salt, a little pe- pepper, take a little bit, a little <laughs> bit here, a little bit there. Um, yeah, I actually picked up a really uh, good book. I just started it. Um, and I haven't quite decided whenever I pick up a book, especially on topics like this, I always, I'm like, oh, don't really trust this author, right? Let mm-hmm. me just, do I really trust this author and, and what they have to say? Um, but I picked up a book about um, essential oils and the dangers of essential oils. And essentially they're like, yeah, well, I get that like lavender might be relaxing. Like your body's immune system was actually never designed to go lay and have like 
4,000 lavender flowers pressed on your body at the same time. Like that was actually not the way your body was designed. So perhaps we should stop overdosing ourselves in essential oils and pretending that it's great for the body. Mm. Um, and, and they're doing a good job of like balancing those things, like saying, yes, in some instances, this can be helpful, but ingesting essential oils every day is probably not your best bet for health. Uh, what? No, there's a reason <laughs> tinctures exist um, and it's in small doses uh, and, and loading yourselves eating 4,000 drops of 4,000 lavender plants at once is probably not your best bet <laughs> for everyday health. Um, yeah. So again, I think, I think it's, it's both, it'll be an interesting social experiment in 10 years to see where this goes. But I think part of the resurgence of Appalachian folk magic in social media has been great with making these connections and people really digging in and asking those questions um, where maybe people haven't asked questions before. But the other thing that I don't like is people, I think for cloud or trying to become thought leaders in this area is taking those things on and creating their own nuance um, in ways where they're really losing the plot um, of some of these things um, and really making them their own, which again, that is just the nature of time is people mm -hmm. kind of taking things and making it their own. Um, but I do think some of it can be potentially harmful, especially when it gets in the hands of the wellness crowd. Um, and then the other thing that I, I have a genuine hope for the future, and I hope it, this doesn't come off as me saying Christianity is by and large awful. Um, but in some cases, yes. Um, but there is this rejection of institutionalized religion by newer religion by newer generations. So newer generations are coming in and really saying like, yeah, Christianity isn't for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so where do I go from here? And so a lot of people are searching for spirituality and finding Appalachian folk magic and saying, yeah, this is what I was looking for in religion. Like this is what I was looking for in spirituality. Um, and then people are kind of finding ways to blend those things. You know, people who are interested in hoodoo and saying, I can kind of take Christianity for what it is and really assimilate this with what I actually believe instead of taking this pick and choose cherry picking of beliefs and what things we believe and what things we believe are right um, or listening to evangelical thought leaders um, and some of their messaging and saying, yeah, that's not what I think Christianity is. Mm -hmm. This is what I think it should be. Um, and so there's this resurgence, I think, of people saying, yeah, institutionalized religion, not my game. Um, but there these whole groups of Southern Christians who are more in line, I think, with the teachings of Jesus, as I know the teaching of Jesus, mm -hmm. um, which are be accepting of all people, be helpful of all people, be loving to all people. Like, mm -hmm. Y'all means all, like not some. Jesus definitely said y'all. Okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, that that's been a really beautiful thing as well. Oh, did you leave us on a high note, even though we were in our earth uh, challenges, problems, and integrations? Did you make it a I point am, to, to be optimistic? It's my cancer rising um, <laughs> and that I am a perpetual optimist. Uh, yeah, oh. because I, I do I do really hope that Appalachian folk magic doesn't get lost mm -hmm. um, in, in kind of the modernization of society and the capitalism economy. Like I just really don't – I don't want it to get lost, but I do love 
the angle that it's taking right now and the way that it's progressing. Of course, with anything, there's going to be problematic pieces to it, but um, I do love this this new resurgence of uh, belief and and this want of young people to like learn more and and dig into things and and really question what's being given to them mm-hmm. um, and and want to explore it further. So. Well, you're you're for the you're contributing to the conversation here, Danny. People are going to listen to this and maybe be more interested to do their own research. And absolutely, um, yeah, yeah, you did Come it. Come back and tell you're me I'm wrong, <laughs> right? Yes, please. I encourage that. Please it, investigate everything that I have said, and then come back and and teach me. Yeah. I, I want to be the teacher that turns into the student. Like, please, <laughs> you're like not the other way around please. for me. Yeah, one hundred percent. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for working so hard, compiling all your notes and being brave enough to share your thoughts on, you know, these topics and and share some of your personal family connections and experiences. I feel like it really has been totally enlightening to me in a lot of areas. And and, um, yeah, I really appreciate all the work that you did. Thank you. Thanks. It's been a pleasure to kind of open (laughs) open the recipe books with you guys and kind of go through kind of what I know and, and what I've learned. And um, again, really encouraging me to question those things. Mm -hmm. I think that has been uh, really great for me, Um, just kind of taking what I've been told and then been been forced to hold it up to a candle and say like, is this real? Right? Is is this accurate? Um, So it's been really helpful. And I really hope that um, everyone who has listened to this has really felt like they've got something out of it. They've learned something new, um, that they've got new topics to explore, um, to kind of help further the discussion. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, next up we'll be approaching Oak's topic of astrology. Uh, Yeah. Yep. That's coming. (laughs) I apologize in advance. Uh, it will also need to be two episodes just to be able to, uh, cover all of the topics. I'm glad we chose really simple things to, you know, (laughs) cover. Uh, we we keep it light. How novel of us to choose, you know, just really, uh, just such big topics and be like, (laughs) we can totally do this. Yeah. Yeah. Season one. Let's do it. Let's do four hour episodes, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I'm really excited. I, I hope you're prepared for all of my questions. I have, I'm not probably a thousand. I'm absolutely um, not. Uh, and um, yeah, and I think maybe that is the value of having kind of like two episodes is that um, if we miss something in the first one, or if there's uh, questions that maybe I can capture some of the answers on the back one, because uh, yeah, I definitely don't know uh, enough to answer everyone's questions or, and probably just not even all of yours. Love that. I, love it. I can't even answer my own Learning questions, and honestly. Yeah, <laughs> but but I'll share what I've got to uh, what I've got this so far, and uh, we'll just love do it. that. All right. Sounds good. Well, we look forward to talking to y'all next time. And in the meantime, blessed be and be well, witches. Bye. Goodbye. Okay,